listen, welcome everybody. Some of you don't, might not know me, my name's Jeff. I am usually here every Sunday, but I've got a Sunday school class that I teach up in the youth room, so um, I usually don't get to be down here to see everybody, but it's kind of nice to be here. But uh, anyhow, we're going to do something that's kind of fun. This is probably besides baptisms and baby dedications, this is one of the funner things that we get to do. Um, yeah, if you're not sitting down, go ahead and sit down. I, yeah, you can sit down. Please, please, don't stand up for me. Um, we're going to do a little fun thing here. It's, it's just welcoming, officially welcoming some people that are newcomers to Creekside. And they're really not newcomers because they've been here for quite some time. So, uh, J.R., Deb, and your clan, get on up here. Um, Trojas, half of the Trojas are here. Steve is not feeling well. He's a little under the weather. Um, Alex and Alexis, why don't, why don't you guys get up here? Who else do I have? Allie, get down here, kiddo. Simon, you're here too. There he is. Come on down here. Now, these guys, um, some of them have been here for a while, some of them not so long, but that's okay. Go ahead, go ahead and come on over here. Um, and you might be wondering, what, what is this all about? Well, this is, you know, this is kind of being a part of a family, being a member of Creekside Church, taking ownership in what we do here at Creekside. And, and that's not a real complicated thing. There's, there's a few things that it involves. One of them is, is this is a place where you want to fellowship. You want to fellowship with your friends and, your, and, and uh, fellow Christians. In fact, it's kind of almost like being part of a family, fellowshipping with your family. Listen, I've been part of this church for over 50 years, and there are people out here that I've known for, for that long. In fact, I, there are people that I love almost as much as I do my mom and my dad, you know? So, so that's, a, that's a great thing to have that. This is another thing that we come here to worship together, all right? And that's a great thing. We've got a great God, and it's a great thing to get together to worship to him. Uh, plus, another thing that we, we like to be able to do is to serve one another. And serving each other, using our gifts and our talents that God has given us, we want to encourage him to do that. Uh, financially, you know, God blesses us with money. And we have a big, beautiful building here, but it takes, it takes money to operate it. And, and we've got people all around the world and every continent that we help support that are spreading God's news. So financially, we, wanna, we uh, expect uh, people to, to uphold the church that way. And then finally, last is to be accountable, all right? To be accountable to each other, to hold each other up in prayer, to come alongside in those good times, to come alongside in those bad times. And that's what part of being a member of Creekside Church is. And these guys have said, hey, we want to do that. So um, that's a great thing. Um, we, we're just here to officially say, hey, you guys are members. But, you know, I'll tell you the secret handshake a little bit later. No, I'm just kidding. So right now, um, I'm just going to pray. Just ask God's blessing on us. I want to give thanks for the offering that we're going to take in just a little bit. And then you guys can go ahead and have a seat when we're done with that. Let's just look to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, first off, we just want to thank you for uh, your great plan of salvation, sending your son, your, your one and only son, to be that perfect sacrifice for us. We are so unworthy and, and so needy, and Father God, thank you for doing that. Thank you for having your son be that, that great sacrifice, that perfect lamb that can take away the sin of the world. Father, I, just, I look around this, this room, and I see this uh, group of believers that we call Creekside Church, and these folks that are standing up here that have said, yes, we want to be part of that family. We want to carry on your work. We want to use our gifts and our talents, and we want to serve, and we want to help each other. We want to fellowship, and we want to be accountable, and we want to worship you. And I just thank you for them, Father. So, God, Father God, from this day forward, we're, as we move forward as a family, as a group, we just want to use our gifts and our talents for you. We want to spread your word and spread your kingdom uh, throughout this city, throughout this world, and we ask that you would help us to do that with your Holy Spirit, we know that we can. And Father, we're going to take this offering just in a moment, and, and we thank you for the, the, the ability that we can do that. We ask that you would give us grateful and humble and, and eager hearts to give back to you what you've given uh, to us. So it's in your, your great and holy name that we would ask all of these things. Amen.
for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. God, thank you that you make broken things beautiful, <clears throat> that all the people in this room are broken until you fix them, until you put them back together, until you make this beautiful. And this is just a shell, God, but you make everything that we are beautiful from broken pottery um, to things that are messed up, we're cracked, and we're confused, and we're... Uh, we're not shaped the way we're supposed to be uh, because of sin, God. But you take that and you mold it and you make it beautiful. You make it new. We are new creation uh, because of Jesus. And so we thank you for that. Um, so, God, we want to worship you for making um, these broken things beautiful. Um, and we, we stand beautiful and clean and righteous um, and free in the name of Jesus before you today. And so thank you, Jesus, for your death on the cross for us. Thank you um, that we are yours and that we are children of a living God. Uh, we love you, God, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a rap song that that reminded me of, actually, uh, that says, Ugly people, please stand up. And that would be like all of us, right? Um, especially me. Um, but, and then the song talks about the fact that you ain't ugly anymore when Jesus makes you beautiful. And so, um, I love that. I actually have some um, <clears throat> pregnancy announcements to make. I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's some people in the room that freaked out right there. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that to you. I've always wanted to do that. Just uh, see the reaction. And I won't look at their faces either right now. It's tempting. Anyway, our, uh, 
our mission statement at Creekside is leading people everywhere to devote a relationship with Jesus Christ. And kind of the way that lives out for us in 2016 is in the phrase, occupy your street. And so each week, I kind of want to give you a kind of a lesson from my street, something that God is teaching me about occupying our street. And what we mean by that is that your street is where you live, where you work, where you um, where you work out, where you go to a restaurant, every place you go on a regular basis, all the people that you meet, you want to occupy those parts of your life with the love of Jesus and the gospel that he died for people, right? We want people to be freed by the love of Jesus. Um, but one of the things that, that I've noticed as I've, as I've talked to you a lot about occupying your street, and I've, I've prayed a lot, God, how do you want me to occupy my street specifically in this part of my street, whatever it may be. If I'm going in to get a haircut, God, how do you just lead me in this? How do you want me to occupy this part of my street, um, whether it's with my neighbors, whether it's at the gym? I pray a lot, just, God, I need you to lead me. I need you to show me what to do. I need you to give me boldness. But one thing I've realized along the way is that I get to a point where I get comfortable in every single part of my street and is to where when I, when I walk in the gym, I get comfortable to where the, my relationships are with these people and where our level of conversation is. When I go get a haircut, I get comfortable with the same person cutting my hair, and I, I get to a point where I'm comfortable with where our relationship is at, right? Uh, with my neighbors, I get comfortable with the way that life is and, and, how, um, and how our interactions are on a daily basis. But within that comfort, somehow, the mission of God for the gospel tends to take a back seat to my comfort. And so the challenge for us this morning as we seek to occupy our streets is to be the change agent that makes things a little bit uncomfortable, not for the people that we're trying to reach, but for us, okay? Because the one thing I've noticed is that change is often the number one thing that propels us forward. When something changes in our life, I have no choice but to move forward into what that change is. And so my challenge to you this morning is if you are in a place where you are comfortable in all those areas of your street that you're trying to occupy with the love of Jesus, you're comfortable and it's stopped you from going the extra mile to share Jesus' love, from going the extra mile to go to a place in a conversation where you haven't gone before, it's now time for you to shake it up a little bit and to start praying on a daily basis specifically, God, show me how I can be a change agent in this part of my street. Because remember, we say that people are not our projects, right? But they are part of the mission for us to share the love of Jesus because we don't want anybody going to hell, all right? We, we know that. We do not want, I don't care how much you hate somebody, all right? I heard a, a guy say one time, how much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them the truth about heaven and how to get there, right? So we want to occupy our street with the gospel. Today, we're going to start a new series on the Sermon on the Mount, all right? So I want to read again for you those verses that Allie just read from Matthew 5, uh, 1 through 12. We're going to go 1 through 12. And then I'm going to give you some background on the Sermon on the Mount, and then we're going to walk through these first 12 verses, because I think they set up the whole Sermon on the Mount really, 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 really well, um, and what it's all about. I love that last song, by the way. I think that's a keeper. Good job to Allie. Tim, you did all right, but good job, Allie. Just kidding, I love it. And it fits perfectly with this, so let's read this again. Seeing the crowds, he went up, that's Jesus, on the mountainside, and when he sat down, 
his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want to give you a little background on the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is quite possibly the most famous sermon ever given. It's also quite possibly the most controversial sermon ever given, the most counterintuitive and the most countercultural sermon ever given. It's also the first recorded sermon in the Bible that Jesus ever gave in his public ministry. Now, to get a little picture of what's going on uh, when Jesus gives this message, we need to go back a couple chapters, and we need to look at what happens with Jesus at the beginning of his public ministry to set him up to give this Sermon on the Mount that is really counterintuitive and at that time was very countercultural. It's even very countercultural for us today. But if you go all the way back to chapter 3, okay, Jesus shows up on the scene to be baptized by John the Baptist. Now, before that, in the book of Matthew, all we know is Jesus' child. Jesus was born. And then, boom, he's old, right? So, what happened in his childhood? We're not going to get into that today. But in chapter 3, he shows up uh, to be baptized by John the Baptist. And later on in the Gospels, Jesus says of John the Baptist, he says, There is no, great, no one greater, there is no greater a man born of woman than John the Baptist. So Jesus thought pretty highly of John the Baptist. He thought he was a pretty awesome dude. But then G- John is baptizing people in the Jordan, saying, he's saying to them, Repent of your sins. And turn to God. Turn away from your sins and turn to God. He's baptizing people for the repentance of sins. And then what does he say? He says, after me, he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. And then moments later, Jesus walks down and John says, behold, the Lamb of God. Jesus walks down in the water and says, you need to baptize me. And John's like, no, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus says, no, to fulfill all righteousness... This needs to happen. And so John the Baptist, who Jesus thinks is pretty awesome, and Jesus, who John the Baptist just proclaimed, no, he is more worthy than I am. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals, right? John baptizes Jesus. And then Jesus comes up out of the water, and at that moment, the heavens open, and the Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, and God the Father speaks. I mean, can you imagine seeing this. God the Father speaks, and what does he say? He says, this is my son whom I am well 
pleased. So right there, in that moment, Jesus' authority is set by God the Father himself, saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And the people witnessed this. Then as far as we know, in chapter 4, right after that, the beginning of chapter 4, this is amazing to me, it says this, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, okay, He was led by the Spirit of God, essentially by His own Spirit, into the wilderness. What does it say? To be tempted by the devil. Like, really? What? Like, He was led by His Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Why to be tempted? Maybe, maybe it was to prepare Jesus. It was to strengthen Jesus. It was to give Jesus a little time to be with his Father and to combat against the devil with Scripture, with truth, and to prepare him for the launch of his public ministry. Do we ever see, this was, this was crazy for me as I thought about this this week, do I ever see testing like that as as something that's going to prepare me for something so much greater. Because oftentimes in my life, I see testing, okay? I see testing even from the devil himself that God is allowing, okay? Get this. Sometimes God allows you, even you might be led by the Spirit into a situation where you are going to be tempted. God doesn't tempt you but he may allow you to be in a situation where you are going to be tempted in order to prepare you for something so much greater. I mean, that just amazes me. Let's go back and read the end of chapter 4. This is right before the Sermon on the Mount begins. And we've got, we've got Jesus who... He says John the Baptist is great. John the Baptist says he's great. His authority is set by God the Father. He's tempted by the devil in the, the wilderness for 40 days. Okay, He withstands that. He's now ready to start his public ministry. All right, And this is what it says. This would be um, chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So at this point, all, most of what the crowds know is this man can heal our sick. This man can do miracles. This man can cast out demons. So this is pretty much what they know of Jesus, that he has the ability to take care of all their external physical problems. But remember last week, we talked about the fact that every single human being on the planet, which includes all of you in this room, our need goes so much deeper than just our physical needs. Jesus meeting people's physical needs was just a means to show them and to prove to them. It was a means to an end to get the opportunity to say, I want to heal all of your spiritual needs so much more 
then I want to hear your, heal your physical needs. I want to. Jesus loves to provide for our physical needs. I mean, the Bible even says that he cares about the lilies of the field. He cares about the birds. Not one sparrow falls to the ground without his knowledge. So he cares about you and he will provide everything that you need on a daily basis. He will provide you with food. You don't have to worry about it. He will provide you with clothing. And with those things, John said, I mean, Paul says in the New Testament, with food and clothing, I will be content, right? So God will provide for you the physical things that you need, okay? I notice I didn't say want. We'll get into that at a different time. But he will provide for you all the things that you need. But that's not his main goal, right? Jesus healed people physically as a way to show them, I want to heal you spiritually, So, let's go to verse 1 and let's just walk through this thing together. Here's what I want you to get out of this. This, the Sermon on the Mount, is essentially Jesus saying to the people that are committed to him, that want to follow him, that are desiring to say, yes, Jesus, this is more than just a, I get what, your stuff, I want your message, I want you, I'm committed to you, I want to follow you. This is Jesus saying, okay, now, if you say you want to follow me, here's the standards of what someone who wants to follow me will live like. Here's the standards of the kingdom of God, okay? So as he lays, as he presents the kingdom of God to these people, this is essentially how he's saying he wants his people to think about life. And it can all be summed up in this one phrase. And this is why I love that last song, because it fits fits perfectly with this one phrase, okay? If you could think of these first 12 verses of the Sermon on the Mount, think of it like this. Broken to be whole. Broken to be whole. Because the reality of the situation is every single human being is broken. But not everybody admits that brokenness. Everybody is broken, but it's absolutely essential to admit our brokenness. Everyone is broken, but to be made whole, we have to let our creator, our potter, fix us. We have to let him make broken things beautiful. Everyone is broken. But healing only comes when we stop denying that brokenness. Verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1. If you're still lost at this point, it's on page 809 in my Bible. Okay? It's like three quarters of the way through the Bible. First book in the New Testament. Chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, it says, seeing the crowds, comma, he went up on the mountainside. I love that, because him going up on the mountainside was a reaction to him seeing the crowds. Why would Jesus see all these crowds of people and want to separate himself from those crowds? All right, so he said he sees the crowds, and upon seeing those crowds, he goes up on the mountainside. There's no possible way that all these people are going to follow him up onto a remote place on the side of a mountain. But get this again, Jesus was known at that point for healing people, for casting out demons, for taking care of all their physical problems, right? And so people loved him for what he could do for them physically, but Jesus was interested in healing them spiritually. Later on in the Gospels, Jesus does a lot of talking in parables, and a parable is essentially a story, okay? It can be true, it might not be true, but it's a story that applies to life, and Jesus tells the story, 
and um, it, it teaches a bigger spiritual lesson to people. And his disciples come to him, and, he, and they say, Jesus, why do you speak in parables to the people? And Jesus says, because he, he, he pretty much tells these stories, and then he says, if you have ears to hear, he who has ears, let him hear, right? And he says, so he pretty much say, tells the story, and he says, if you get it, you get it, and he walks away, right? And the disciples are like, why do you do that? You don't spend any time explaining things to these people. You see their faces, they're all confused now. Like, good job, Jesus. You had a crowd, and you lost it, right? But Jesus is like, you know what? I do that because all these people in this crowd, they have ears to hear, but they do not hear, right? So all these people, these huge crowds, they hear the words that are coming out of my mouth, but they don't really care about what I'm saying. The majority of these people are here to see a miracle, they want me to heal somebody. They want me to cast a demon out of somebody. They have ears to hear and eyes to see what I'm doing, but they're not really hearing and they're not really perceiving the message. And then he tells his disciples, but get this, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, are for you to know. Why? Why was it for his disciples to know? Because his disciples came and sought the truth of the parable. The disciples showed inside of them, Jesus, I want more. I want to know the truth of what you have to offer. It's not just about you healing us physically. We want to be healed spiritually. We have no idea what you're talking about. We are so confused right now, but we want to know. And so they sought the truth. They sought Jesus. They followed him. And when he stopped healing, that didn't stop them from following. They wanted truth. They wanted to know. So Jesus separates himself from the crowds to draw out the people who really wanted the truth. And then it says he sat down. Now, in that day, people, uh, people disciples, would um, be under the teaching of a rabbi. So Jesus' 12 disciples, as just before this story, he had appointed 12 disciples who would be like his closest, uh, his, his, his little posse, and they would all hang out together, and they would learn from him everything that he had to taught th- taught, teach them. And when a rabbi sat down, it was like, boom, all of his, that rabbi's disciples were like, he's about to teach us something, so we better listen. We better have ears on, we better listen, we better take it in. So Jesus sat down, and as soon as he sat down, his disciples came to him because they knew he was going to teach them, and he started to teach them. Now, you need to know this, this, this was not just the 12 disciples that he had picked to be with himself, okay? Out of that huge crowd, there was a number of people who decided, I want what Jesus has to offer, I'm going to follow him no matter what. So all of those people followed Jesus up onto the mountainside, and when he sat down, they perk up, and they're like, we're ready to listen. Okay, the question for us is, if you were there, if you were there, picture yourself there, you're part of this huge crowd, and it's probably a bunch of down-and-out people. Um, a lot of them were homeless. A lot of them were wanderers. A lot of them just hanging out with Jesus. Jesus was homeless. Jesus was a wanderer. You know, he fit in with that crowd. You're in this crowd, and all of a sudden Jesus goes up on the side of the mountain, and there's two groups of people. There's a group of people who just want to see Jesus do a miracle, 
And they're like, okay, we're not really interested in what Jesus has to say. So we're just going to wait down here. Are you in that crowd? Or are you in the crowd of the disciples that goes up closer and wants to hear and wants to know? Like, I don't know, some days I think, for me, I'd be in the crowd that stayed on the bottom of the mountain if I really checked my heart. But I hope, I pray that I'd be in the crowd that went and knelt at Jesus' feet and wanted what he had to offer spiritually. It goes on, verse 2 and 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I said it before, broken to be whole. Because everyone, everyone that you know, and yourself included, is broken, is poor in spirit. But Jesus is saying that you are blessed when you come to recognize that truth. Because there's a ton of people in this world, and I bet there's a ton of people, there's, there's some people even in this room right now, you are broken, but you haven't admitted that brokenness. You are broken, you are poor in spirit, but you have not recognized that you're poor in spirit. So Jesus is saying, blessed are those who recognize that they are poor in spirit. When you realize that you are bankrupt spiritually because you're broken by sin, you, when you recognize that, you will come to Jesus and he will give you the kingdom of God. You get that? So until you know you're poor in spirit, you're not going to see, you're not going to receive the kingdom of God. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Here's the deal. Those who mourn on earth, when tragedy happens, and it does to people on earth, they have the amazing opportunity. And still, as I say this, I would not wish tragedy on anybody. But those who mourn on earth have the amazing chance to find rest and peace and healing in the arms of God. I can tell you this, there's things on earth that I would never, ever wish on anybody. Because I've seen widows go through losing a husband, or widowers go through losing a, a wife, or a mom and dad go through losing a child. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But I can tell you this, that for those people who go through that and they go through it well and they come out on the other side, they have experienced the comfort and the love and the embrace of God in a way that I hope, <laughs> like I want to experience, this is crazy because I want to experience the embrace and the love of God as deep as possible, but I hope I don't have to experience it like that. But those people have an opportunity to go through those things well and experience the embrace and the love of God in a way that I may never experience. You get that? It's not the strong. It's not the powerful. It's not the self-promoters. No. It's the weak. It's the people who mourn. It's the poor in spirit who inherit the kingdom of God and who are embraced and who are comforted. Verse 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
The word meek, I looked this up, it literally means humbly patient, gentle, and not asserting oneself. James 4.10 says this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I've said this before, but oftentimes you, you ask for something, so you're praying and you ask God for something like patience, right? So is God just going to give you patience? He's just going to say, boom, there you go, you're going to have some patience. No, he's probably actually going to put you in a situation where you have to learn patience. He's going to give you a chance to be patient. And as you live through that situation, you learn patience. And you come out on the other end being more of a patient person, right? Try asking God for humility, right? It's a tension for me, like every Saturday night, every Sunday morning I wake up when I'm preaching, and I don't dare ask God for humility, because then my sermon's going to stink. And you're gonna, he's going to be like, there you go, now you humble, right? I'm like, no, I'm not, okay, I'm not going to pray that way, because if you ask for humility, be careful, because God just might give you a situation to make you humble, right? So instead, I try to say, God, I know I know I need you. Like, I know I, I'm, I can't do this on my own. I need you. Like, I, this, this is not going to happen unless you help it happen, right? Be careful how you pray for humility because God might just answer that prayer. Luke 14, 8 says, When you are invited by someone, this is kind of a story that Jesus is using to illustrate a point. It's a parable that he's using in Luke. He says, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come to you and say, hey, give up your place to this person. And then you will begin in your shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes to you, he may say to you, friend, move up higher then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit with you at the table. Here's the deal. The meek, the humbly patient, the gentle, the people who are not self-promoters, they will inherit the earth because they wait on God. Because they wait for God to exalt them. Jesus was a perfect example of that. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And guess what? When he rose from the dead, what we celebrated last week, when he came back to life, where is Jesus now? Where is Jesus now? Somebody answer that. At the right hand of God in heaven. Because Jesus humbled himself, God exalted him. And he's saying the same thing to us who want to be, uh, live out the kingdom of God on earth. Don't, don't promote yourself. Promote Jesus. Be humble, and God will exalt you. I love that. It takes the pressure off. I love all these. It takes the pressure off because we're not perfect people, right? Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So Jesus takes the whole thing and he turns it over on them, right? He said because he's reminding them of what is actually important in life. Physical training. All that is of some value, right? It is of value to physically train your body, but it's only of some value compared to the value of training your soul and your spirit spiritually in the things of God. 
Training yourself spiritually in the things of God is worth so much more than training yourself physically. And being spiritually healthy is so much more important than being physically healthy. Although being physically healthy is very important, we need to take care of our bodies. But it's not the most important. Verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now get this. The ultimate fulfillment of a desire to do what is right and to do it with the right motives, with a pure heart, is that you will see God for who He really is. All right? So what do we need to start praying? (laughs) What do we need to start praying? If you really want to see God work in your life, if you really want to see God affect the people around you as you seek to occupy your street with the gospel, and you're trying to reach somebody with the love of Jesus, you really want to see God work, you start praying every day, God, check my motives, check my heart, test my heart. If there is anything in me that is is not pure, God, take it away, because I want to have a pure heart. I want to serve you with a pure heart. I want my motives to be right. I want my motivation to be the glory of God, not the glory of Nick. I don't want to be famous. I want Jesus to be famous, right? You want to see God work? Check the motives of your heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. When Dan and Georgiana Aikens were here, there, there are some of our missionaries to, uh, to Romania. They're part of the Ineloquent Band. They were here recently, if you remember that. Uh, we were talking to them about this verse specifically. And one of their biggest prayer requests for them as they went back to Romania was that they would be peacemakers. Okay? Notice, and, and the way Dan put it to us was he was like, notice, it's not peacekeepers. We want to be peacemakers. All right, great point he made was that there is a difference. Because a peacekeeper, okay, that's not what it says. It says peacemaker, but a peacekeeper is someone who at all costs wants to keep people happy and essentially becomes a people pleaser even if they are pleasing the people who are in the wrong. Right? We want to keep the peace at all costs. So we're going to make everybody in this situation happy even if we're making the people happy who are in the wrong. We're letting people be in their sin. We're letting people stay in their sin. We're letting people be wrong just at the cost of keeping peace, right? He's like, no, I don't want to be a peacekeeper. I don't want to be that way. I want to be a peacemaker. A peacemaker is someone who actively makes peace for the right thing. They seek to speak truth in love to people who are in the wrong and not just please everyone. A peacemaker is not passive. They are active in making peace that stands for what is right. Do you get the difference? We're not just out to make everybody happy. We're out to make peace for what is right. Right? The Bible even says speak the truth in love to the people around you so that you can help them better live in the will of God. Right? And the thing about a peacemaker is this says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. 
the characteristic, one of the characteristics of a son or daughter of God is that we are peacemakers, not peacekeepers. We don't, we don't just allow, okay, we give grace when wrong things happen, and we're thankful for the grace of God in our own lives, but we are peacemakers. We actively seek the best for the people around us that we love by helping them live as children of God, not just making them happy, not just making them feel okay about everything, but we actively love people by helping them live better as children of God. Now let's read verse 10 through 11, and this kind of wraps us up. Verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You notice this whole thing is Jesus saying, Blessed are those. It's like, um, whoever, whoever of you that I'm talking to right now lives this way, you are blessed, right? It's, it's, it's whoever lives like this is blessed, okay? And then in verse, in verse 11, he changes it, okay? Listen to what he says now. He, get, he goes from saying, blessed are those who dot, dot, dot for whatever, okay? And then he changes it. And verse 11 almost becomes a prophecy saying, you who are listening to me right now, what I'm about to say, this is going to happen to you. I am telling you that you're going to be persecuted. This is what it says. Blessed are you. And he makes it personal. All right? And I think it's personal for us too, who are committed followers of Jesus, who want to live out the values of the kingdom of God here on earth. This is what he's saying to you. So if that's a choice that you've made this morning, this is personal for you. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In the message version, it puts it like this for verse 12. And this is verse 12 in, in, in what I just read. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And in the message version, it says this. Know you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten in that kind of trouble. Like, to me, that, that's, that, that's, like, cool, because I'm like, okay, all right, I can be a troublemaker. I can do that well. I was, I've always been good at that, right? And my parents would be like, yes, you have. Um, but I want to be that kind of troublemaker in the kingdom of God, right? I want to be countercultural enough to stir things up for the name of Jesus. Like, I'm willing to do that. I don't want my family to get persecuted. I don't want to get beat up for the sake of Jesus. But guess what? He's saying you're, you're, you're going to be persecuted if you really desire to follow me, if you really desire to love me, if you really desire to be my follower. It's going to happen. But guess what? It's the way it's been since the beginning of time. All of my people have always gotten persecuted. But it's worth it. It is worth it. It is worth it. Because your ultimate home is in heaven. And when you get there, your reward will be great. So don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. The thing that separates out great people in this world 
And I'm not just talking about people who serve Jesus. I'm just talking about throughout time, okay? The reason we remember Hitler is because he stood up and stood for something that he believed, right? It doesn't mean it was right. It wasn't. But the thing that sets people apart, the thing that sets people out in our society is people who, do, who are not wishy-washy, is people who stand up and say, this is what I believe, and it doesn't matter what the society around me is doing. I love, and for Jesus followers, and for people who claim to be a part of the kingdom of God, the way we live is not defined by the culture around us. It's defined by scripture. It's defined by the words of Jesus. It's defined by what we just read right? And so we get to say, I love everyone. I love everyone in the best possible way that I can love people into the kingdom of God is to live what I say I believe and stand firm, right? Because I can tell you this, it's like what DC Talks. Anybody remember DC Talk? Raise your hand if you remember the band DC Talk. No, no shame here, Come on, DC Talk, I'll sing it for you if you don't raise your hand. I'll tell you what, I'll sing it. You don't want that to happen, all right? Love is a verb, that's all I got to say. They said this, they said the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is this, that it's Christians who claim to follow Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world finds so unbelievable. Because guess what? People are smarter than we think. They don't want to see people who go and claim to be Jesus followers walking out the door and living differently. They want to see people who claim to be Jesus followers walk out the door of their homes and be Jesus followers, right? And so this is the first time that Jesus gets the people who are committed to him in front of him and he says, listen, this is how I want you to live. And coming up, you'll see in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, he, it, countless times he says this, you've heard it said, dot, 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 well, I say, boom, right? He totally turns everything that they think they know upside down. That's, Jesus is awesome. I don't like everything that Jesus says in the Bible. But the question is, am I committed to him or not? His message gives Life. 1 Peter 1.16 says this, Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The word holy means set apart. So God's desire for his people, his desire for his children is not perfection. Okay? Get that. His desire for his people is not perfection. Because if you're in the room today and you have confessed your sins to Jesus, asked him to forgive you and be your savior, he has made you perfect right? He's already done that for you. You can't possibly do it for yourself. You can't be perfect. So Jesus made you perfect because of his blood on the cross. So God's standards for his people is not perfection. His desire for us is that after we come to Jesus for salvation, we live differently. We live set apart. It doesn't mean we're not a part of the world. It means we don't live like the world. It doesn't mean we don't hang out with the world. It means we don't do what they're doing. And listen, if it, if it meant we didn't hang out with the world, then most of Jesus' time was spent in sin. 
All right? I'll tell you that. Jesus hung out with all different kinds of sinners. All right? He spent time with drunkards and prostitutes. If that's not what we were supposed to do, then Jesus was wrong. Right? But he wasn't. Why? Because he was after people's hearts. He knew his kingdom was after people's hearts. He knew that was the heart of his father. The standards of God's kingdom are counterintuitive and they are countercultural. It's not the strong who survive, it's the weak and the helpless that will be strengthened. It's not the powerful or the first who are going to win, it's the last. It's not the self-righteous who will inherit the kingdom of God. It's the humble and the meek. It's not the ones who proclaim they have it all together. It's the ones that admit they don't who will inherit the kingdom of God. So, as, we, as I look around the room and I see who's in here, we're in pretty good company, right? I mean, I'm in good company because y'all a bunch of messed up people. Right? And so am I. Trust me, I know behind the curtain in some of your lives, you can be messed up. I'll tell you what. But you know the same thing about me. Right? We got issues. We're not perfect. But we're made perfect by the blood of Jesus. We are weak. And we most certainly don't have it all together. But we realize that the blood of Jesus is the thing that makes us Beautiful. Again, that song. He takes broken things and makes it beautiful, makes them beautiful. Right? That's what the kingdom of God is all about. That we are broken to be made whole. So we're going to take communion. The band's going to come back up and we're going to remember Jesus. I mean, he said at the at the Last Supper when he spent time with his 12 disciples, he said, I'm going to give you things to remember me by. I'm going to give you the bread, which represents my body. I'm going to give you the juice, the cup that represents my blood. And every time you take this, you're not just taking it to eat. Every time you take this, you are taking it. It's a gift from me to you so that you can take it and remember me. You remember what I did for you. You remember I've said this before, but you got to make it personal. If you were the only person on the planet, I would have died for you, right? And so for us this morning, as we take the bread and the juice, there's two, there's two stations up here. There's one in the back. People are going to be walking around. If this is your first time, that's okay. Don't be intimidated by it because it's going to be controlled chaos anyway. But if you believe this, then come up and take it. If you don't, then think about it. No eyes are going to be on you. you got to think about this, okay? you got to think about, why are these people doing what they're doing? Am I really just concerned about a God who can fulfill my every physical desire? Or do I know and understand the brokenness of my heart? And Jesus is the only one that can heal that. So that's what we remember right now. And so if you come and take this today, you are essentially saying, Jesus, you're saying two things. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you 
that I'm on my way to heaven. Thank you that I am free now from sin and shame and death while I live here on earth. Thank you for that. And now I want to live out the values of the kingdom of God, and it's going to be hard. But you said, you said, take heart, I have overcome the world. And so we're going to believe that together this morning. We're going to believe that as the army of God and as sons and daughters of God, that this is the way he wants us to live as counterintuitive and countercultural for the name of Jesus. So let's pray together. God, we, uh, we just thank you that, that you have made us beautiful, that you have made us beautiful and that you have equipped us to live in this world, to love other people and to bring the gospel to the streets. God, even when it's hard, because it is hard, it is really hard to live out some of these things that you ask us to live out in the 11 verses that we just looked out. That's really hard, but it's also really freeing, God. It's also really freeing because when I come to you and I admit, man, I am just, I am broken, then you heal me. And so God, help us. Help us as we seek to live that out. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you that we are free. So we worship you now as we sing together in Jesus' name. challenge for us is to say, God, I want to make a difference in the world around me for your kingdom, and so please empower me to live out the values of your kingdom and make it really easy for people to look at us and say, man, they claim the name of Jesus, they live the name of Jesus, that's what I want. And so I want to pray for you, and we're going to sing the last song, Finally Free, and and uh, I want you to make this personal as you sing this song that because of the blood of Jesus, I am finally free. And now I get to live as part of a kingdom that speaks freedom into people's lives. God, I, I just pray, I pray for every heart and soul in this room. I put, pray your freedom upon them, Lord, that they would let go of any lies they are believing from Satan. I pray that they would let go of any shame and guilt that they are holding on to. And God, I just, I just speak freedom over them in the name of Jesus because of the blood of Jesus. Father, empower us this week by your spirit to live in such a way that says, yes, I claim Jesus and I love Jesus and I live Jesus and I want this for you too. And so God, uh, just empower us to do that in your spirit. Help us to be bold and not be afraid because you are with us. In Jesus' name, we worship and we pray. Amen.